Are you ready to free the body and free the soul? Join Dr. David, the cutting edge doc, as he guides us on today's journey. Here's Dr. David. Welcome, friends. Welcome to another edition of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul, where we do in-depth interviews with individuals that are doing cutting-edge work in the areas of healing or spirituality or social transformation. And uh, this is Dr. David, the Cutting Edge Doc, and I'll be your host for today. And as you know, I'm usually very excited about these conversations, but uh, I'm really, really excited about this conversation. I feel a little bit like a kid in a candy store because we're going to be talking about water and motion. And water is one of the topics I'm particularly fascinated with. I had a spiritual teacher of mine tell me about 25 years ago that I had a particular sensitivity to water and to motion. And at that time, I didn't know very much about toroids or spin or anything like that, but it's starting to make more sense to me now. And uh, very excited to bring into the conversation my guest today. My guest today is kind of, to me, is kind of like a Renaissance woman. Her name is Dr. Carly Newday. And um, she's a wonderful writer and uh, scientist and researcher, and also obviously a light worker, a, ver a very much on a spiritual path, and strikes me also as someone very committed to social justice as well. So, um, Dr. Carly Newday, welcome to Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul, and welcome to this conversation. Thank you, Dr. David. It's a pleasure to be here. Is it all right for this conversation if I call you Carly? Yes, please do. Okay. So one of the things that makes Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul unique is that we do in-depth interviews so we can take a lot more time that's not just a quick sound bite. And so there's a really good opportunity for the listeners to really find out about you as well as your work, to really get a sense of of you and what makes you tick and what your passions are and what your concerns are and um, about your journey and your milestones. So I'm going to turn it over to you for a while to share whatever you'd like to share in that context and uh, maybe let us know about your journey as a as a person and as a and and in these different roles and um, how you got so passionate about about your relationship with water. Yeah, well, that's a it's an interesting story and it's it's been a really interesting journey. Uh, you know, when I was young, I started to get interested in natural medicine. I actually built um, a degree, a bachelorette degree around natural alternative medicine and therapies. And that came out of watching a very close friend of mine uh, go through a, a very rare form of cancer. And um, she had a, a really interesting experience where she was doing a lot of integrative care. Um, she was going through radiation and chemotherapy, but she was also seeing a naturopath and getting vitamin C injections and seeing an herbalist and doing Qigong and, um, you know, had a, a really integrative sort of approach to, to her care. Um, there was a period of time where they were unable to do any chemotherapy on her anymore. 
uh, her liver was in really bad shape. And, and so they said, we're going to take a break for six months and come back and see where things are at. So in those six months, she went on a completely natural approach. Um, her integrative care switched from allopathy plus natural medicine to, to being only natural medicine. And at the end of those six months, um, her Shigong healer told her that the cancer was gone and that she was healed. And uh, when she went into her, um, you know, traditional doctor, uh, they did scans and they saw that for the first time since she had been diagnosed, her tumor had actually shrunk. Um, they recommended another round of chemo. She did that round of chemo and, and consequently passed away uh, during it from a fungal lung infection. And it was my experience that the natural forms of approach that she had been using were actually working and that it was the allopathic uh, approach that, that was the detriment of that. Um, that shifted my focus from one of, you know, being pre-med to being, being a, a natural practitioner. And so that's what I built my degree around. <clears throat> I was uh, going through that process using uh, supplements and, and herbs and, and had a wonderful toolbox. Um, when I found myself uh, suffering from pretty severe EMF problems, and that came as a result of a carbon monoxide poisoning. There was a, a gas leak in my house. I had um, pretty strong carbon monoxide poisoning. And a few months later, after I thought I had fully recovered, I began experiencing some serious problems. Um, working on my computer, going into town, being in stores, and and um, and that shifted um, shifted my focus from one of of natural healing to one of um, recognizing that all these things I had in my toolbox weren't helping me with this problem. Um, so, uh, Dr. Apollo and I, and, and Dr. Apollo Stoppelbean is the founder of Tree of Life Tech. We co-founded that together. Uh, going through this journey, um, but we started to to look for things that would help me, and it ended up uh, leading to Marcel Vogel, who was the uh, IBM scientist who um, you know he worked for IBM for about thirty years, and uh, and he developed much of the technology that laid our foundation for today's liquid crystal displays. He's arguably the world's best crystallographer, and in finding his work, uh, Dr. Paul and I found that. Um, Marcel Vogel, in addition to being a, a crystallographer and understanding things like the original magnetic hard drives were part of his work with IBM, uh, he also understood that water was a liquid crystal and, you know, was really the first one to um, really get into what that meant and to actually start developing tools that had water resonance that interacted with water in the body. And so um, it was actually through that work that we found ourselves um, really getting seriously invested in uh, how water works and, and how it functions and in understanding that, really learning how the entire body works and, and how energy works and resonance and, and these concepts of healing and natural approaches. And it really was all coming back to water. And we, we did such a significant amount of, of research and work um, in developing the tools of Tree of Life Tech, working off of Marcel Vogel's work and, and really experiencing uh, how that affected the water in our body, how that affected uh, water that we we're trying to treat 
um, and really understanding what a profound impact that had on people's level of, of health, whether it's emotional, spiritual, mental, or physical. Right, right. How did you meet this doctor that ended up being your research and business partner? Uh, Dr. Apollo and I met uh, by a chance of fate shortly before my EMF uh, experience, or shortly before my carbon monoxide experience, actually. It was quite a while. In fact, it wasn't until years later uh, that I learned carbon monoxide strips the sheath of your, uh, the myelin sheath of your nervous system, um, which actually, you know, leads you more susceptible to electromagnetic interference. So it, it wasn't until years later that we made the connection between the carbon monoxide poisoning and the EMF sensitivity. Um, but it really opened up our eyes uh, to a whole new level of, of health and um, effects of energy and electromagnetic radiations. And, uh, and the effect uh, frequency has on the body. Um, so we met by a, a chance of fate and, and started working together and um, never looked back. It's been, it's been a really incredible journey and the things that we have been able to do, uh, the things that we have witnessed uh, other people experiencing, the things that we've experienced ourselves. And of course, the research that has come out of this work has been a, a really profound life altering experience. Beautiful. Um, so did you end up moving to a place that uh, was more, um, you know, from an elemental point of view, did you end up as part of your own honoring yourself? Did you move to a place where the elements were more pure and you were not around so, so many people? Actually, actually, yes. Um, I had been living in Minneapolis and Dr. Apollo was from North Dakota. Um, I ended up moving out to North Dakota also and uh, for a significant period of time in doing this work, um, writing the book and, and developing this research and, and developing Tree of Life Tech, you know, we lived in a, an area in North Dakota that's, um, you know, kind of like your own little private island in the middle of, of the fields. You know, you've got a mile or two to your closest neighbor, um, you know, it's an hour into town and it was a very, very quiet private space for us to do a lot of development. There was very little community there, um, you know, as far as like-mindedness. Uh, so we did eventually end up relocating out to California where we are now. Um, but it was a really phenomenal place to, to develop these things. And, you know, quite frankly, I, I never would have been able to live in somewhere like California uh, if we didn't develop ways for me to handle electromagnetic interference. Now, during that time period, did you have to do things to generate revenue for you? Or were you in a place that was such a low cost of living place that you were able to focus full time on the research? How did you how did you make your way during that period? Yeah, you know, thankfully, uh, we've been we've been really, really blessed, of course, you know, in this uh, economy and in this world, no matter where you're living, especially in America, you certainly have to provide for yourself. So we've always been able to do that. But for the last many, many years, um, we've been able to focus on Tree of Life Tech. And and in, in doing that um, has given us an umbrella for both, um, you know, sustaining the business and supporting the research um, by providing tools to individuals and practitioners. Um, 
and really being able to focus. You know, the, the water work came out of, of Tree of Life tech work. You know, we started working with Marcel Vogel's crystals and Marcel Vogel's science uh, with structured water and, and liquid crystals and resonance. Um, and in developing those systems, you know, really coincided and, and went with uh, understanding how they worked right. and what they were doing to the body. So were you able to get, are you able to get yourself or were you able to get yourself to a place now where, um, where you feel pretty healthy and you've been able to manage your relationship with EMF so that um, your life's not about that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's been, been many years now that I've, um, you know, really had the tools and the ability to, to handle virtually any environment, um, you know, within reason. Of course, a, a computer lab's not going to be a walk in the park to anybody, um, you know, but with, uh, with ways to help, with tools that help, and, uh, and with high awareness, you know, it's, it's certainly not something that I, I struggle with at all. I am in a very healthy place. Great. I'm, I'm really happy for you. So let's segue a little bit into the work. Uh, I'm thinking about the best way to do this. Um, I think the way I'd like to approach it first, and then we can angle in from other points of view, is share with you some things I've observed as a clinician, as a holistic doctor, and uh, get your thoughts on that. And then from that, I think we'll get more into more formally talking about your work and your book and what you're doing, okay? Yeah, sounds great. So I've noticed a few things. One of the things I've noticed is that a lot of my patients' ability to accurately assess if they're functionally dehydrated is completely shot. They, by the time they register that they're thirsty, it's way, 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 way too late. So that's like one thing that I've noticed. Um, another thing that I've noticed is that people don't take me seriously when I talk about the importance of adequate amounts of in terms of quantity and quality of water. It's like they I can feel that they're almost um, uh, throwing it off. Like, yeah, 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 but if I talk to them about needing a particular herb or a particular uh, product, um, you know, they, they really perk up. But sometime, somehow when I talk about water, it's, that's, that's discounted quite a bit. Um, I would say another thing I notice with my patients with water is the whole chlorine and fluoride issue, um, especially in terms of thyroid function, displacing iodine, um, and all of the impact that that has, combined with, of course, the drying out of things with the chlorine and the deadening of the brain with fluoride, that's definitely something that I notice. Um, and then uh, also clinically, you know, I deal with this issue of, you know, I'm working in the real world here, and I'm uh, and and so there's issues of time and money and education when I make a recommendation for a patient. I'm factoring all those things in, and when we're talking about, you know, well solutions to the water situation. You know, one of the things that's going on in California here is a drought situation. And uh, I'm kind of torn because on one hand, 
I really want to clean the water out before we start adding nutrients and frequencies back. So a part of me wants to recommend an RO unit, a reverse osmosis unit, and then from that point sort of re-enliven the water with minerals and flows and crystals and frequencies <clears throat> and uh, motion. But another part of me goes, you know, I really don't want to do that. It's expensive. There's a lot of water runoff. And um, so that's something as a clinician that I debate about in terms of my recommendations. So those are kinds of things that that are on my mind when I put on my clinician's hat and I kind of think about water. So um, I just wanted to put those ideas out there so that you could put them in your hopper and then use those as kind of uh, springboards to start talking about water and about your perspective of water and about your work. Right, right. Well, and I think one of the things that, you know, you really touch on there is a, a problem with education. Um, so you have to consider that in, in your uh, recommendations to people, um, but you also see it in, you know, sort of the um, dismissive, um, sort of dismissive attitude that some might take towards the idea of drinking more water, the idea that they're dehydrated, or the idea that their water isn't um, doing what it should. And that, that really comes from a problem in our education at a very young age. So we're taught in school that we have hydrogen and oxygen, that these two come together to make H2O. These molecules randomly conglomerate into a cup. That's water, H2O. You should drink eight glasses of it a day. And it's uh, the substance on which all life depends. And that is a really inaccurate uh, and misleading representation of water. And so, you know, when I look at the dismissive attitude or the uh, lack of, of awareness and knowledge that people have towards water and, and what water really is and what the water in their body really is, um, you know, we see it, or at least I see it, as a, a problem that starts in a, a failure of our education at a, a very young age. Um, that description of random H2O molecules in a cup uh, actually has a scientific term called bulk water. And bulk water is not the type of water on which life depends. That's a different type of water altogether, which is called structured water. And structured water is the type of water which makes up 99.95% of our molecules by count. It's the type of water on which all life depends um, for its complex systems. And it's uh, the type of water that we require as, as to regularly intake into our bodies to maintain our health, to maintain our cellular integrity, to maintain our DNA integrity, and to maintain our level of consciousness. And so the problem comes from this lack of education where people don't understand there really are two different types of water, bulk water and structured water. These are two different things as much as graphite and diamond are two different things. These are two completely different substances with completely different properties. Could I interrupt you for a minute? Absolutely. What are your thoughts about why that distinction is not uh, made in our culture? Yeah, I think that uh, that comes from a variety of, of reasons. You know, one thing that we see happening in a lot of uh, mainstream science is, is we see a reductionist approach uh, that tries to make things very simple. And 
water molecules are so small. They're so small and their actions uh, completely, you know, are anomalous. They have, you know, over 70 anomalous properties associated with water and it's because of its structure and the changes in its structure. So when I talk about structure, I'm, I'm referring to the way that the hydrogen and oxygen are actually arranged. So in bulk water, they're arranged randomly and in structured water, they're arranged, uh, like Marcel said, as a liquid crystal, these hydrogen and oxygen are arranged in specific repeating geometric patterns. Um, so I think that the reason the education fails us, I think the reason most people aren't aware of that is simply because it has been easier for science to uh, simplify and reduce an understanding into one that will make uh, equations simpler, into ones that, that make, um, you know, their, their simplified uh, equations and reduced variables easier. Um, because really, once we acknowledge that water has structure and that the structure is fluid and flexible and capable of change, uh, in the book I refer to as a, um, a perfectly orchestrated school of molecular fish. So because its structure can change uh, instantly every trillionth to quadrillionth of a second, and these changes in structure affect its properties, uh, this makes it very difficult for science to get a uh, real grasp on cemented properties that they like associating with substances. So it challenges an entire paradigm. Absolutely. And that, that's, that's threatening on many levels if the people involved are at an ego-based level of consciousness. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, mainstream science, um, <laughs> another thing I say in the book, we're not as far from the days of Galileo as we'd like to believe, you know. There's still rampant uh, career persecution within the realm of science. And, um, and so it, it gets hard to uh, break out of those paradigms for a lot of mainstream researchers. Okay, I didn't mean to derail your thought process, but I, I thought that was a would be a useful question. But go ahead and get back to your your original flow there. I'm, I, I sure. Okay. Sure. Well, and and so again, you know, I think that that's a, a place where our education has failed us at a young age is in not um, you know really teaching us the difference between bulk water and structured water, and in giving us a definition of water on which all life depends as a definition of bulk water, you know, we really uh, limit ourselves in our understanding. So it, it does take uh, paradigm breaking in order to, you know, really grow past this reductionist level that we've been stuck on that has maintained our current practices and current systems. You know, when people really look at the science of water um, as it's described in the book where we walk through uh, the science of health as water relates in the body, as water relates to the cells, as water relates to aging and DNA. Um, and then we walk through consciousness and how water relates to consciousness and storing information. Um, you know, these are, these are the types of ideas that we need to understand and the types of realities of how our experience works uh, that we need to understand if we're really going to interact with our experience in a positive way and if we're really going to be, be able to affect it uh, for the desired change that, that we want. Um, so that's what we're looking at when we look at the level of structure in the water of a cell. 
and we see that those repeating geometric patterns start to break down over time with exposure to toxins, whether it's uh, emotional toxins, environmental, uh, and you know pollutants, um, and we see those start to break down. Uh, as those break down, as that structure begins to turn more like bulk water, that's when we start to see things like cancer and diabetes and multiple sclerosis and uh, dysfunction in the body. It's also when we start to see um, mental disorders and, uh, and problems in the mind. So there's a very intimate and intricate connection between the water system of our body, our level of consciousness, and our physical experience of health. Have you done any studies like one of the things that I really focus on, I'm focused on these days is increasing the awareness for my patients about the devastating impact of genetically modified food on their energy fields. And I can demonstrate that in real time in my clinic. Have you done any work to explore in real time any conformational water changes that occur when someone is taking in genetically modified food? You know, I haven't focused specifically on genetically modified foods, although we can certainly understand uh, that a genetically modified organism, you know, we're looking at something that's got a uh, twisted structure. This is not a, this is not a natural, um, natural creation. And so we can understand that that's going to have an effect on the other structures in the body. Um, I haven't done any work specifically related to uh, measuring the effect of, of GMOs and the water structure in the cell. Our work primarily with Tree of Life Tech has really focused on uh, structuring the water within the body. And of course, we are working on, on units right now and, and they should be done soon. Um, and there's other people on the market also working on units to improve the structure of the water you, that you drink. Uh, but for several years, our focus was on, on structuring the water inside of the body. Um, and there's a distinct difference from the water that's inside of an organism to the water that's outside of an organism. Um, distinct differences in properties. Uh, so we really have focused on improving the structure of the water inside of the body through the light therapy techniques um, and the tools that we've developed there. Through that, um, we have been able to and have practitioners and, and clinicians working with us uh, that have their own systems doing their own, uh, ex, you know, um, doing their own clinical results with their own patients. Um, and we've gotten the feedback that we've gotten and the feedback that we've seen uh, has been really phenomenal for sort of a how holistic structuring the water in the body can be on every level of a person's experience. If someone um, wanted to do research on uh, taking a variable and consciously playing with that variable and wanting to explore in real time the impact on water structure at this level. Um, would you know how to go about doing that? You know, I would have, I would have different thoughts on, on how that could be, how that could be approached. And, and there's different people that are working um, on developing those things as well. You know, virtually every diagnostic tool that we use, whether it's a form of muscle testing or form of GDV, um, you know, these, these different diagnostic methods that we use, they're all working on a principle of, of structured water and interacting with the water in the body. 
um, that's really where the magic happens is in those 99.95% of our molecules. And of course that's by count, not weight. Um, that's where information is stored. That's what maintains the shape of our proteins, the integrity of our cells, and the ability for information to travel uh, throughout our body with, um, with full integrity. So we see that there's level of coherence that happens um, where the body is able to communicate information uh, without loss. And um, when that occurs, we have a significant increase in the amount of health experienced by the individual and the amount of mental capacity, the amount of focus and awareness and attention that they're able to exhibit. Um, we can even see that in things like meditation techniques. Um, all of these kinds of techniques, they're affecting the water in the body, which is what affects the consciousness and the health. Um, that's really what I want people to understand through the book. Um, and one of the, the big paradigm breakers that, you know, that comes from that is, is understanding it's really all about the water. And the more that we can interface with that, the better effect we're going to have on our, our systems. You know, I see that, you know, because the work that I do, one of the main pieces of what I do is a uh, very sophisticated form of muscle response testing called morphogenic field technique, where we're monitoring the balance and the buoyancy of the human energy field in real time in response to different stressors and different solutions. And when I read your book, I thought, what when I see the field become more buoyant and balanced, that's probably perfectly correlated with the water in the body becoming more coherent. Absolutely. And I'd love to be able to demonstrate that. That's the reason I was asking if I wanted to demonstrate that correlation, if there currently are uh, protocols and uh, technology that could demonstrate that at this point in time, or is that something that's probably more down the road? I think that's something that's that's probably more down the road before we get to something that's um, that's really dependable and and uh, and able to do what we want to do. But that's that's one of the things by uh, by bringing this information into people's awareness and uh, by expanding our understanding of how these things work, we can really bring better development into things that are actually useful and helpful for our environment, whether it's internal or external. And, um, you know, we're, we're really going to be able to develop these things so that we can evaluate the things that we're putting into our environment, the things that we're ingesting uh, for their effect on water. And I think that's really where the true power is going to lie in understanding whether something is uh, healthy for us, life supporting, or not, you know, if we were evaluating genetically modified foods, pesticides, herbicides, chemtrails, fluoride, chlorine, if we were evaluating those things for the effect that they have on the structure of water and therefore recognizing how life supporting it is versus how uh, life, how, how detrimental to life it is, uh, then perhaps our approach to what we put into our environments would change. Um, so that's something that I, I really want to see happen in our world, I want more people, more researchers, developers, scientists uh, to recognize and understand these things and start to work with the reality of our experience in our world um, rather than try to 
uh, work in a fallacy of our experience in our world, which is often what happens in mainstream science when we reduce these things, um, you know, to just say water is water, we take the structure out of the equation. Well, you know, now we're not working on something that's reality. We just have a, a pretend mathematical algorithm right. that doesn't really work in our in our in our world. Um, right. I think that that's a really important thing too to recognize is that when we have the most abundant substance on our planet that makes up the most abundant substance in our bodies, and yet it completely defies the laws of physics and chemistry, um, you know, my argument is that, well, maybe we need to sort of rework those laws of physics and chemistry. If they don't apply to the most abundant substance on our planet, how much legitimacy um, are they really going to hold for for a lot of these, you know, aspects of consciousness and health and healing? Well, you know, I think about the, I think about the symbolism involved in terms of water, and feminine energy, and emotions and fluidity and flexibility, and um, I can't help but think about the the work you're doing helping us to heal our relationship with water and to honor water. I can't help but see that as part of a larger movement of energy of uh, waking up and and honoring the feminine energy here in our world. And, you know, to me, part of the understanding of why a lot of this isn't taught and why it, this is so frightening to the mainstream power elite is that the, the, the forces that appear to be in control of our society now are a reflection and an expression of this overly patriarchal culture that is rapidly breaking down uh, more and more every day. And uh, th that's just how I see it kind of from a bigger picture. And I I, I was wondering if you see it in similar terms. Absolutely. You know, you've really, you really touched on something that hits close to home for me, which is, um, you know, Victor Schauberger said a culture can be defined, or I'm sorry, civilization can be defined by their relationship with water. And, you know, when I look at our relationship with water on a, a, a localized and a global scale, you know, ours is really suffering. <laughs> And, uh, and when we recognize that our relationship with water really is about our relationship with ourself, um, I think that the ability for huge uh, social transformation is really real. Um, when we heal our relationship, we're going to experience uh, an incredible healing in our relationship with ourselves and our health. And that can really transform the experience on our planet. Absolutely. So before we go on, did you want to say any more about the things that I said in my opening observations as a clinician? Uh, you know, he touched on an education issue and, uh, and a dismissive issue. You also touched on a, a thirst issue that um, most people are, aren't recognizing that they're thirsty until it's well into uh, stages of dehydration. And um, that's something that I think is, is a really strong indicator of our, our relationship with water, or the problems with our relationship with water. Um, I also think that 
part of the reason that our thirst mechanism uh, gets desensitized, which which it does. I mean, scientifically, we know even that as we age, our thirst mechanism gets desensitized. Um, we know that oftentimes people will mistake a thirst mechanism for hunger. You know, it's not supposed to act that way. And I find that the reason it does, the reason our thirst mechanism gets desensitized um, is because of a conditioning problem. You know, if our body tells us that it's thirsty and we in turn give it a cup of chloridated, <clears throat> chlorinated and, and fluoridated water, you know, or a cup of, of bulk water, you know, over time our, our body will certainly realize uh, that that thirst mechanism is not triggering us to give it what it requires. Um, and so why turn it on? It actually takes more energy for our body to structure unstructured water uh, than our body actually gets out of that water in the first place. So it's a very uh, entropic downward spiral when we're not offering our body the water that it requires. Um, you know, certainly the issues with uh, chlorine and, and fluoride um, and other pollutants as well. Of course, we have hormones in our water, <laughs> estrogens and pesticides and, and many small pharmaceuticals that can't even be uh, filtered out well unless you go to something like RO, which has a, an incredible amount of waste. Um, you know, these are these are serious issues that if we really understand how water is operating, then we can really find ways to do something about it. Um, there's going to be a difference between filtration and structuring. Um, when people are structuring water and uh, they're looking to increase the level of geometric complexity in the way that those hydrogen and oxygen molecules are arranged because water as a liquid crystal, it's incredibly responsive. And we see that with things like Emoto's work. I'm sure, of course, you're familiar with Emoto's work. Um, he's only one of several people that have documented uh, the response that water has to consciousness, intention, energy stimuli, um, whether it's colored light or magnetic fields, music, uh, you know, words, intention, prayer, pollutants, water is incredibly, incredibly responsive. And, uh, and so when people want to increase the level of structure in their water, um, you know, there's going to be a difference between filtering and, and structuring. And we need to get to a point in our ability to work with water and our ability to understand how to impart uh, structural changes that can affect these um, pollutants that are already involved. Um, we need to get to that point and there needs to be development uh, done to create those units. Um, at this point, we're still still finding ways to uh, increase our level of structuring to a, to a degree that, that creates some, some type of filtration. But otherwise, you're absolutely right. Up until now, you know, the, the best thing that you probably have to, to offer people is Unfortunately, if they're dealing with something like uh, high amounts of fluoride, chlorine, and, and pharmaceuticals in their water, uh, is something like an RO, um, because we simply haven't developed the techniques of structuring well enough uh, to to be able to eliminate those toxins. So, with the current state of the art, even if I'm hearing you right, what I'm hearing you say is that in the current state of the art and the science the structuring can partially compensate for lack of filtration, but not completely. So for now, especially in communities that are still fluoridating water, 
you would recommend something like an RO unit to get the water sort of back to uh, a clean state and then doing things with it uh, on different levels to, to help it recover its fullness. That's right. That's probably about the best thing that we have in, in the current market. Um, obviously, you know, we're working on things that, uh, that hopefully will um, overcome some of those challenges. And the idea with uh, sharing the information and, and spreading this knowledge and awareness is that other people will also come into this field and, uh, and put their res resources and, and their knowledge behind it to also create more tools uh, to do this. In the current state of the market, um, there is not a method of structuring available that will deal with the level of filtration we require from our normal tap water. And anyone who's doing any type of, of structuring to the water will tell you that the best thing to do is start with the highest quality water possible and work from there. Um, so a lot of people will, you know, it's really hard to buy water, um, but a lot of people do buy spring water and then put that through a structuring system or a, a method of structuring. And there's a variety of ways to structure water simply because it's so responsive. One of the things that we have to understand is that uh, structured water is a blanket umbrella term uh, for water that has a level of geometric arrangement, a, a level of liquid crystallinity, um, but those exist in various degrees. So you know, there's one structure is not all equal. Water that is structured with sound is going to be different than uh, water that has been affected by light is going to be different than water that has been vortexed in. Um, in fact, I, I did have uh, just very briefly short, short sections within the book that describe sort of how these different, um, different energies, whether it's light, sound, magnetism, vortexing, uh, you know, the the different effects that these these all have on water, and those are uh, certainly ways that nature uses to maintain the structure of water uh, within her system because, of course, all life on this planet is dependent upon that structure. We actually see that there is no bulk water. We can't find bulk water in a living organism except for one that is unhealthy and one that is diseased. So we only find bulk water in things like cancer cells. We only find more bulk-like water uh, in things like HIV cells. Um, other than that, within the body, we aren't going to find water that isn't structured. Do you think Again, that- uh, Decline of health. Do you think that one of the reasons why a lot of times when people drink water, it goes right through them is because energetically, that water cannot be taken up by the cells? Absolutely. No, it, it can't be taken up by the cells. It, it can't be assimilated. And like I said earlier, it actually takes, you know, the body can't use it if it's not structured. Uh, so it actually takes more energy for the body to structure the water than the body actually gets out of the water itself. Um, that's a major reason that water will just go right through people. You know, obviously also in, in something like bulk water, we're usually working with large molecule clusters that don't have any geometric arrangement. And, and actually the, the outside of the cell, um, you know, a lot of people want to call it a cellular membrane. There's some debate on whether or not it's actually uh, a membrane, but there is no debate that it's a liquid crystal surrounding the exterior of the cell and that it's the, um, 
it's the liquid crystal nature of this exterior of the cell that brings things in and out. Water has to surround every element that goes in and out of a cell, and that water has to be um, has to be structured in a way that the the cell can assimilate it. Um, bulk water doesn't have structure; it can't assimilate through these geometric patterns uh, to enter the cell. Have you thought much about the relationship between water and bone? And the reason that I ask that is that a lot of people don't realize that bone has a lot of properties of a living crystal as well. Bone is very organized and geometric and structured and has a lot of piezoelectric properties. And I'm wondering if the, uh, the, 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 the tremendous problem we have in our culture with osteoporosis, arthritis, etc. I'm wondering if uh, structured water is a living crystal and bone is a living crystal. I'm wondering if that could have a really positive impact on bone health and vice versa, whether things that we did to support bone being a living crystal might have a um, kind of a global benefit to the whole body. Absolutely. Well, and again, you know, we, we definitely need to maintain a holistic approach of the body. You can't affect one part of the system without also affecting another part. Um, and so certainly, you know, our body, even though it's by molecule count, something like 99.95% water by, by weight, obviously, you know, this is about 90% at birth, 75% at, at death. And what's not uh, liquid crystal in our body, whether that's water or our cholesterol esters and our, our fats and lipids, um, we also have solid state crystals in our body, which is our bone and our dentin. You know, bone is a solid state crystal. Um, it is made up of, of water. I think it's something like 20 to 25% by weight uh, water. Um, but we see that one of the huge problems we have with our water that we're drinking in our society is that it's very high, highly acidic. And so one of the things that, of course, I'm sure you're familiar with, especially with things like the fluoride issue and the, the displacement of, um, of iodine with these halogens, is a leaching of minerals out of the bone in order to maintain a livable pH balance within the blood. Sure. Um, and so I, I think that that's certainly a, a serious problem that we have with the type of water that we drink and the level of acid uh, in our, our current, you know, system and, and society and food. Um, so, you know, that's, that's certainly an issue. You know, definitely our bone is a solid state crystal and, uh, and it stores information. And Marcel even talked about um, the uh, potential and... Um, practicality of, of bone storing information, um, even holding holding some memory, which we find to be more within our, our water system. Um, and that was a huge focus on the in, in the book, of course, was not just the science of health, but also uh, how consciousness and memory interacts with our water system. If we look at things in our bone, the things that we're doing, or the things that you might say recommend to your, your clients to do uh, to improve their bone health, if it's a positive thing that's actually improving our bone health, it's of course going to have an improvement on our water and vice versa. Um, so things like iodine, things like remineralization, um, things like getting the toxins out that leach these things from our body, um, that's going to have a holistically 
profound impact. It's like if we're taking in our structured water, um, if the water that we're drinking was of a high quality and high structure, you know, we would experience an incredible increase in our ability to detox, our ability to handle these influx of, of pollutants, um, acids, uh, and, and our ability to assimilate things that are good, you know, excrete things that are negative, and maintain the health of our systems across the board. Now, what about connective tissue in general? For example, I'm a holistic chiropractor, so in addition to doing chiropractic manipulation, which I think is incredibly valuable when it's done properly, when it's needed. I also do a fair amount of soft tissue work, and some of the soft tissue work I do is deep connective tissue reorganization type work. And uh, anyone who does deep tissue work for a few years realizes that there's a tremendous amount of traumatic memory that's stored in connective tissue, or at least is triggered when we work on connective tissue. And uh, have you thought much about what's going on there in relation to water, or is that more because collagen itself has some crystalline properties? What are your thoughts about the whole idea of the of the network, the spatial network of connective tissue and its relationship to memory and possibly to water? Absolutely. Well, and, and I really do find that that's throughout the entire body, but if you're going to look at specifically connective tissue and, and specifically, you know, protein-based, you know, muscle masses, um, you're going to see that surrounding every protein is a minimum, minimum of 10,000 water molecules. Each one of those water molecules holds about 30 to 60 uh, different units of H2O. Um, so we're really looking at a huge amount of water molecules surrounding each and every protein in the body. And the, the structure of those molecules surrounding the protein actually determines what that protein is and how it interacts and functions with the rest of the body. When it comes to things like uh, traumatic events and, and memory, um, what we found is a, you know, and of course provides a, a huge basis for our understanding of, of how memory is stored and how consciousness is stored within the water of the body. Um, you know, memory they have found, of course, is, is non-localized. You can't pinpoint a certain area of the brain or, or body that stores memory. Certainly we have some aspects of the brain that are more responsible for managing short and long-term memory, um, but nothing at all that is able to localize it. And that's because it's non-local. It's spread throughout the water system of the body. Uh, every experience that we have at any point in our life is stored within this structure. And, uh, and that amount of information is, is, is huge. So we find that people who have things like, say, PTSD, um, really are experiencing a, a great level of incoherence within their water system, um, a lot of uh, destructuredness and, and chaotic um, firings, whether it's you know nerve firings, mental thought pattern firings, um, as a result of this stored information. And so by increasing the structure of the water in the body, and, and of course, you know, my experience with that is is using the tools that we developed with Tree of Life Tech off of Marcel Vogel's work um, to actually uh, give the body the crystallographic patterns that it requires to structure itself in a way that is water resonant, so in a way that speaks to the water in the body in, in an information band that it can uh, receive. So water is the 
spatial context for all the proteins. Yeah, yeah. And it's really the interface. Water, water really serves as the interface between consciousness uh, and energy and physical expression. So then we can see how uh, water works in our feedback loop of our mind-body-spirit where we have a traumatic event or a positive event for that matter. Um, but specifically right now you're talking traumatic event. We have this traumatic event, uh, that traumatic event affects the water of our body and the structure that it has, which in turn affects the shape of our proteins, the ability of our uh, cells to communicate, the ability of minerals to enter and exit, um, you know, the ability of our, our DNA to maintain its integrity. And so, we really find that that water is the interf interface between each one of those points of the mind-body-spirit connection. Um, and that's actually the mechanics of how that biofeedback loop works. Um, right, right. Well, one other question I have is I've noticed clinically that some people that are very EMF sensitive will benefit a lot from certain combinations of essential fatty acids. And you mentioned before when we were talking about the cell membrane and you were talking about your experience of your own self with your myelin sheath and everything. Uh, what connection, if any, is there between the uh, improved functioning that occurs with when essential fatty acid balance is good in terms of um, supporting people in being more coherent and being able to handle EMFs, is that a completely different mechanism than the water thing, or is there a relationship there? No, there's absolutely a relationship there. Um, there's a huge relationship there. So essentially, fatty acids are um, essential. Fatty acids are our cholesterol esters. These are these are liquid crystals. These are forms of of liquid crystals, um, and they interact with our water system in in really vital ways. You know, in in part of that. Um, uh, cellular external uh, membrane, if you want to call it a membrane, um, and as part of uh, transferring information, um, f fatty, fatty liquid crystals, um, so so fats in the body, and, and fats have been really demonized by our culture, um, but it's it's really inappropriately done. Uh, you know, if anything should be demonized in our culture, it's probably sugar over fat, uh, but but fat. You know, fat is a, a liquid crystal that actually maintains its its structure with much less responsivity than water. So water is incredibly responsive. You know, fats generally tend to to hold themselves. Um, that same thing with like minerals in the body. Say, um, you know, people can have a huge increase in their level of of health and and coherence through things like essential fats. Um, also things like uh, like mineral therapies because uh, salts, minerals, and fats, these are things that allow our water to uh, structure around. It gives it sort of a, um, a basis for, for structuring around, and, and that's really important. You know, the water that we find in, in the body, it's 99.95%, but it's, a, it's essentially, <laughs> Paul, uh, Saul Williams has a great quote. It's essentially, we stand as the equivalent of three buckets of water and a handful of minerals. It's not just water. It's water and minerals and a small amounts of, of fats. Um, these minerals and fats is, is something that works synergistically with our water to, to 
give it a, a integrity in its structure. Um, obviously, fats as a liquid crystalline and minerals are crystalline as well. Uh, salt, you know. So, we, so that's great. So we've talked about water and fat. We've talked about water and protein. Um, is there anything you want to say about water and carbohydrate before I get into the relationship between water and DNA and nucleic acids? Oh, interesting. Um, well, I'm, I'm curious to, to hear where you're going to go with that. I guess when it relates to carbohydrates, you know, and I, I mentioned earlier fats versus sugars, um, you know, I, I do find that, um, you know, in a general metabolistic way, uh, carbohydrates tend to uh, cause a greater dehydration um, when we uh, burn our, our carbs in our body and our sugars in the body. Um, it tends to uh, take away more water than, than it does when we burn fat. Um, that, that's certainly my experience and, and um, something that I've I found through my research there. Um, DNA gets really interesting. DNA and water gets really, really interesting. So I'm curious um, sort of what questions you might have there or what direction you're going to take that. Well, there are a couple places I'd like to take it. One place that I think is interesting because it could be something that could easily be measured would be the relationship between coherent water and uh, the function of telomer the telomerase enzyme and its impact on telomeres and aging, that to me is something that probably could be fairly easily measured because uh, that's a hot topic. So there's technology already developed in that, right. in that area. And then of course, I'm sure there's a lot that could be done in the area of epigenetics in terms of, um, you know, for example, if someone is genetically predisposed toward being more likely to have a particular disease or not. Like, let's say we took identical twins and we did some studies where we exposed them to different types of water. I would imagine anything that has to do with genetic expression would be some interesting experimental area. But I'm sure this whole business would, um, its impact on activating human telomerase and uh, telomeres and aging would be a no-brainer for an interesting place to start? Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. And they have, of course, you know, like you said, we've got the technology available that we're already investigating, um, you know, the, the way that the telomeres fray and its relationship to aging and, and how the telomere is, enzyme is, is acting there. Um, we've seen that water unstacks around the telomeres and that's actually what causes it to fray uh, so you know in that regard instead of instead of looking at uh, aging as the result of telomeres fraying uh, we can understand that actually telomeres fray as a result of a loss of structure and that that's actually uh, what is causing and, and stimulating and triggering the aging process and if we can um, you know interject in there if we have if we can develop ways uh, to one monitor um, how that breakdown in structure is happening and, and of course affect it uh, to to stop it from happening or to slow it uh, from happening we would have 
significant, significant impacts in how we experience the aging process. Um, that's something that I, I want people to develop into, and that's why it was such a, a, a focus in the book. Um, you know, a lot of that came out of Dr. Paula's work um, in terms of the fractal antenna nature of water, which of course we haven't touched on yet, but I'm sure you read about uh, in the book, but, but also the way that um, this unstacking uh, is, is the loss of structure. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because if you look at if you look at Chinese medicine or Ayurvedic medicine and you look at the herbs that have developed a reputation over thousands of years as being a sort of fountain of youth type miracle herbs, you know, and a lot of those herbs are in the formulas now that some people are taking to experiment to see what impact that has on human telomerase. It'd be interesting to take one or two of those herbs and to try to get a sense of how those herbs are interacting with water and water structure and coherence. Absolutely. Exactly. And that even goes back to what I said earlier about, you know, evaluating the things that we're ingesting or the things that we're putting into our environment for, for the effect that they have on water. Um, I think that that's going to be one of the most empowering ways that we can um, you know, affect our experience. Yeah. So, um, are you willing to like go pretty far out there with me? Cause I want to talk about something now that's pretty far out. <laughs> sure. So let's get into this fractal antenna business. All and, right. And, you know, I translate that in my mind when I hear about that, I think about water as a, I think about DNA. I think about DNA as a dimensional doorway, like a mini black hole. And that as our DNA becomes more fully alive and activated, that's correlated with our human beingness, the possibilities of being for human beings becoming more fully realized and if there's merit in that view and there's truth in what we've been talking about about the intimate relationship between water and dna and nucleic acids this this points to a critical role of structured water in the potentiation of human possibility and so you know, this obviously has profound spiritual and ontological implications and applications. So if you're willing to go there, I just want to open that whole possibility up and, and, and hear what you have to say about all of that. Yeah, and, and I'm certainly willing to go there. You know, the subtitle of the book is The Science of Health, uh, Consciousness and Enlightenment. Um, and And so, you know, in recognizing that relationship between water, DNA, our physical expressions, and of course our, our mind and our consciousness, um, you know, we can also start to recognize um, and sort of remove the, the glass roof as far as what our potentials really are and uh, how we can access and, and open ourselves up to, to experiencing and, and realizing those full potentials. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So, you know, a lot of, 
if when we look at our spiritual history, our religious history, our um, you know ancestral information throughout antiquity, every culture across time, across space, uh, regardless of, of location and, and um, resources on our planet, have maintained the same approach and understanding towards water, um, which is one where water is intimately connected to health, water is intimately connected to a source of God, spirit, divinity, nature, and, and water that is intimately uh, connected to our consciousness. So we can see that through every culture across time and space. And I think that um, what, and I, I go through that in the last part of the book, you know, we, we go through uh, various uh, scriptures from, from different ancient texts and, you know, and really present the way that these cultures looked at water in terms of an ability to reach uh, nirvana or heaven through water. We see water purification and water rituals in, in every culture that relates water to a, a cleansing of, of sin or karma and a, a way to enlightenment. Um, if we want to look at enlightenment as being a fully realized individual, um, a, a human that has fully realized their capabilities, or in the case of, of you know, certain people throughout history have have become their light body and, and literally ascended off the planet. Um, you know, we have in these various cultures this this prevalent idea uh, that that is humanly possible and that has been a human experience by some people. Um, so if, if we see that, you know, their understanding of that potential of, of human being nature and the ability of water to interact with that potential of human being nature, you know, putting that together, we now have cultures that, um, describe water as, as, you know, the fountain of, of living God. Um, I am the fountain of living water as a wellspring of everlasting life. Um, you know, we have, uh, things like the Bhagavad Gita is talking about, um, you know, in, in water is all truth and, and lies, and water is every healing balm, and water is the fire of God and, and every deity. You know, they really acknowledge that water holds the power of every level of consciousness and, and every source of, of divinity. Um, so, you know, if you, you want to touch on how these ancient ideas uh, relate to our current understanding of um, physiology, consciousness, and human potential, you know, we can certainly see that the structure of water surrounding the DNA actually determines uh, the expressions of that DNA. It determines how well that DNA can uh, conduct its electromagnetic frequencies and information, and it determines the integrity. So if we're going to say that uh, human potential lies within the way that you described it, a, a black hole of DNA, if that's, if that's how we want to look at it, and that by um, opening up, um, by accessing that doorway, you know, well, how do we access it? How do we turn that knob to open the doorway? It's going to be through affecting the structure of the water that surrounds it. And we can see that they're already doing that. They manipulate 
they can adjust the level of hydration surrounding the DNA of a salmon, and they do that to manipulate the genetic uh, expressions of that salmon. So we have genetically modified salmon now um, that are genetically modified by changing the, the hydration sheath surrounding the DNA. That's how they're modifying the genes. Well, we do that in ourselves all the time. That's why genes aren't static. That's why genes um, are able to be uh, fluid and flexible and respond to changes in our environment. That's why toxins can have an effect on our genes. They're, they're not static, they're flexible. And throughout different points in our, in our life, because of uh, different stimuli that have affected the water surrounding our DNA, different genes are going to be turned on and off, different genes are going to have different expressions or mutations along the way, and et cetera, et cetera. So by bringing our level of structure in the water in our body to one that is increasing its level of geometric complexity rather than decreasing it, um, certainly now we experience a decrease in our level of structure within the water of our body as we age. We're not providing it structured water. We're surrounding it with an environment that's systematically polluted on virtually every level. And so we, we experience a decline and we're not doing anything to maintain its structure. So we experience this decline. If instead we experienced an increase in our geometric complexity as we grow in our experience on Earth, if we experience an increase in that geometric complexity to such a degree, um, that's when that's when I find that this is what our ancient traditions were talking about when they talk about somebody who has ascended, somebody who hasn't re reached an enlightened status, somebody who um, has, has light bodied out, so to speak. Um, that to me is a result of this level of structure within our water that results as a level of our consciousness and affects our level of health. You know, what comes up for me as I'm listening to you is I'm like thinking about like in Atlantean times where the technology got ahead of the the spiritual wisdom got ahead of the love and and you know some really horrible things happened I'm just thinking how important it is as we get into like what you're talking about with the salmon as we get into attempting to influence genetic expression, how important it is to temper that technological power with, uh, with a commitment to love and to honoring life in the living. And that as we do that, I think that will be the, that will be the key that will open up the, the expression of the higher reaches of human nature. Absolutely, absolutely. And it, it really is about um, being committed to life, you know? And, and of course you said committed to love, yes, committed to love, um, but committed to life. If we, are, if we are really committed to life, we're going to uh, change the way that we affect our internal and external environment and we're going to change a lot of the practices that we have in place in, in our world today. Um, well, why don't we use that as a segue to talking about the particular work you and your partner are doing in terms of solutions. So I, I would imagine if I empathize with our listeners, they're probably kind of going, well, okay, okay, what can we do? <laughs> what so, are they doing? Yeah. Um, 
So I think as we move toward winding down the conversation for today, if you can focus on talking about the solutions you and your partner are working on and how that dissemination of that innovation is going in terms of our ability to access it and talk about that in the larger context of, you know, like if you could make a handful of recommendations to our listeners for easy steps they could take right away to start to upgrade the quality of their water coherence in their body. Um, I'd like to move toward proposing solutions. I'm, I'm the kind of, I'm the kind of teacher where I don't like to expose a problem unless I have a solution, some, some proposed solutions. Yeah. Yeah. And at least, you know, get the conversation going on, on these solutions. So, um, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, our work with Tree of Life Tech uh, really came out of Marcel Vogel's work. So um, we developed several years ago a light therapy system uh, based on, on the tools developed by Marcel Vogel and that were advanced by Dr. Apollo. So Marcel, world's greatest crystallographer, understood that just like you can properly cut a ruby to cohere light uh, into a laser, you could also properly cut quartz uh, to do the same for consciousness, energy, and intention. Um, so what we've done, and, and that, that properly cut quartz that Marcel developed, which is called the vocal cut, um, has a resonance with water. So it vibrates at a uh, resonant frequency band, and which means it's able to share information, uh, like, like speaking the same language. If something is not in resonance, uh, they're speaking two different languages, and you have a lot that's lost in translation. Is it a particular angle? Um, Marcel's cut had had some to do with with angle and a lot to do with consciousness and and a lot to do with shape. Um, shape and angle go hand in hand, and yet uh, simply cutting a crystal on the same angles that Marcel had uh, does not give it the same properties as the crystals that he worked with. Um, so that gets a little more complicated, but. Uh, Marcel's crystals were traditional quartz crystals. They had a resonance with the body. Quartz and, and water has a very special relationship molecularly. Um, they sort of fit together, SiO2 and H2O. Uh, and so he worked with a traditional quartz, and he described before he passed away, now he worked for IBM for about 30 years, and he only had a, a handful of years doing this work before an untimely passing. And... Um, and so he wasn't finished. One of the things that he talked about doing was was a therapy system like what we have and um, like what we've developed. And I, I firmly believe that this is something that, given enough time, uh, Marcel would have developed himself. Uh, he also said that he wanted to fully understand quartz crystal before he went on to any other type of crystal. Um, and fully understanding quartz and its potentials is, is many lifetimes of work, uh, not just one. So it's not surprising that, um, that that's where he was and, and that's uh, what his focus was on. Well, maybe, this, maybe this speaks to the issue of love and purity of intent. The fact Absolutely. That other people were not able to completely duplicate Absolutely. the impact. That's right. And so Marcel's crystals, as traditional quartz crystals, they were incredibly user-dependent on, uh, on having the mental capacity. Now, Marcel, um, Marcel had been trained in meditative practices, and he had 
a high level of awareness and, and mental training that uh, many people didn't have. And so he actually spent, um, you know, once he developed the crystal, he spent a significant amount of time uh, investing in trying to teach people uh, to be able to use it. So one of the things that, that we did and one of the things that Marcel uh, said shortly before he passed, he actually um, had said that he believed uh, his tool using that water resonance um, would be able to, that, that at one day uh, people would be able to put pharmaceuticals into that crystal so that they could receive the benefits of that pharmaceutical without the harmful effects of, of actually ingesting it. Um, so what we've done, you know, obviously we don't put pharmaceuticals into, into the crystals, but what we've done with the light systems is we've used the Vogelkrut crystals that we've actually filled with um, 30 to 50 different gems and minerals per crystal. Um, and we use that Vogel as a, as a, a carrier wave. So the, the traditional cut of this crystal, just like a ruby coheres light into a laser, uh, Marcel developed this crystal to uh, cohere and transmit uh, nested information. So it takes all of these gems and minerals and all of these complex geometric patterns and it puts them into one resonant wave and into one frequency wave that's resonant with water. Uh, we use Dinshaw spectrochrome color frequencies, so the most bioavailable frequencies, uh, frequency colors that our, our bodies require. And, uh, and we put that with those crystals and, and we provide these therapy tools for practitioners and individuals and the results have been absolutely amazing in the way that um, that crystallographic patterns are able to increase the, the level of health in the body um, that in, in giving the body the structural pattern information that it requires and giving it into a way that it can use in a way that's resonant with the body's own water and energy systems um, you know, our ability to, to affect for positive is, is dramatically increased. Um, that is so exciting. Have you experimented at all with uh, including sound or solfeggio frequencies at all? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, most of our practitioners uh, do use it in conjunction with a, with a sound unit. Um, and it is a fully holistic experience. Um, and a fully holistic standalone or uh, in conjunction with other modalities that people treat. Um, it's, a, it's a phenomenal therapy system. So this sounds like something that, you know, someone like myself, a clinician, could learn and integrate into our private practice. But what about the layperson, other than finding a person who has yeah. this type of thing? Uh, anything that are maybe lower tech steps Absolutely. that people could take right away? Absolutely. Well, and one of the, the greatest things that has helped me in my level of um, coherence and, and awareness and day-to-day -day, uh, experience, especially considering my, my EMF sensitivity, um, is the arc stars. So Marcel developed um, the specific cut of crystal that we use for our pendants. And we take that pendant, which is a natural quartz crystal uh, in, a, in a water resonance, and we fill it with um, anywhere from 30 to 100 different gems and mineral patterns. We seal that into the crystal with 24 karat gold, and uh, I haven't taken mine off in several years. <laughs> <laughs> and and that, that what happens then is that that crystal, um, you know, crystals are, are piezoelectric, quartz crystals piezoelectric, 
we put these crystals, gems and minerals inside under really extreme pressure. So we're, we're actually activating uh, that piezoelectricity and increasing the amount of energy that's, that's coming out of that crystal. Um, in doing so, what happens is the, the crystal itself isn't just radiating the frequency of quartz, it's actually radiating the combined energies of all of these different crystallographic patterns together from um, the diamonds, the emeralds, the rubies, the sapphires, the calcites, the smoky quartz that, you know, I mean, it's like I said, 30 to 100 different gems and minerals in each one of those pendants. And that energy then is, is rating out into my energy system and my water, my water and my body, 99.95% of my molecules are resonant with the energy that comes off of that crystal. And it's able to use that to increase and maintain its structural integrity amidst the bombardment of pollutants, whether they're energetic pollutants in the form of cell phone and, uh, and computer radiations, or whether they're um, you know, emotional pollutants in terms of negative energy. Now, does that crystal require cleansing? It does not. No, no, it does not. Uh, and that's because, because of the activated piezoelectricity, we're constantly pushing energy through this crystal. And the energy that's being pushed through that crystal uh, contains uh, self-clearing minerals like shungite, selenite, uh, citrine, these things that are known throughout antiquity on virtually every continent, known for uh, cleansing negative energy. And what is the price range for the retail consumer for something like that? Uh, the pendants range from about 200 to, depending on what setting you want to use, up to up to 1,200 for you know something that's a, a very large size in 18 karat gold versus a, a small size in a silver. And they're lifetime pieces. They're they're absolutely lifetime pieces. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, any other suggestions for our listeners? Uh, I think grounding grounding like for someone who had some of your challenges i think if you can go barefoot and you can find some uh some really nice soil or some really nice grass i think that has a really powerful uh healing property given what we're dealing with absolutely absolutely and remember that you know the water in your body is incredibly responsive so you know any sort of meditative practice is going to uh, help maintain the structure of your water. Any type of uh, grounding practice, relaxation practice that involves uh, being in nature and and, and uh, being in a, a peaceful or, or healthy mental, energetic, spiritual environment. Um, you know, all of those things are going to help uh, maintain the structure of the water in your body. And I think that one of the most destructuring things to our bodies, besides the you know inundated pollutants that were, were affected by is stress, of course, right? Stress is, stress is one of the most major factors in accelerated aging. And if we see accelerated aging as a product of a, an acceleration in the breakdown of, of our water, we see that, yeah, stress has a huge effect on the structure of, our, of the water in our body. So the more that we can do uh, to bring relaxation, to release that stress, um, you know, the better that's going to have, have on the water in our, in our body. How about um, how about sun therapy, like getting a few minutes of early morning and late afternoon sun? I would, oh, yeah. I would, I would think that that would have a tremendous, just intuitively, I would Absolutely. have a sense that it have a tremendous impact on mineral balance in the body and water coherence. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and don't forget, you know, that 
that life uh, comes from that synergism of water and light. And, and so, you know, we're primarily made of, of water and, and light, biophotons, you know, these are, these are the things that we require. And um, also, you know, the sun, all the blood in our body passes behind our eyes. I think it's uh, every two minutes or so. And one of the theories that's been proposed for why that is, uh, is actually because the light that hits our eyes and the color that hits our eyes um, uh, actually activates certain things within our blood. And so our blood passes behind our eyes every two minutes in order to, to have, you know, it's, it's certain components activated or, or affected by, by the light in that way. So um, sun gazing uh, with the eyes closed um, is a, a huge, wonderful, wonderful way to increase, um, you know, very easily increase uh, a, a level of structure in, in your body. Now, to what degree are these practices going to have? Obviously, you can't just meditate five minutes for one week and think that that's going to handle your week's worth of stress. You know, you have to be quite a meditator to be able to reach the level of peace and relaxation that you need uh, in those five minutes. So, you know, these are trained practices, sustained practices that we need to incorporate on a daily basis if, if that's what we're going to depend on to structure the water in our body. You know, my opinion is that because of the systematic pollution that we experience, um, we need to do more than just meditate or listen to solfeggios. Um, you know, we need to do we need to do more, and that's where we really require tools at this point. You know, meditation was was wonderful 500 years ago. Um, that might have been all that it took to maintain a certain level of of structure and coherence. Um, you know, today in our in our environment, you know, we really do require tools. Um, you said earlier, you know, essential oils and herbs and, and things that, you know, really people perk up to uh, because they want their tools. And when you say, well, your tool is a glass of water, they say, well, you know, that's that's not my tool because I've used that my whole life and I still have these problems. You know, they really need to understand that there is a difference. All water is not created equal. And, um, and that the water they've been handed in a cup their whole life is, is not the type of water that their body requires. Um, so, you know, in, in my opinion, we do need these tools in order to, um, to grow, uh, in order to advance our human potential, in order to more fully realize, like you said, um, you know, our, our real potentials, um, and in order to combat, you know, these, these pollutants in our environment and, and in our bodies. Um, so... For that reason, you know, we've really we've really been dedicated to developing these tools for people and, and giving access um, to things that'll really help them, and uh, and and help them reach their next level. Um, sure. Those types of tools, and there's a lot of a lot more of information. You know, people can certainly read the book, um, Water Codes. It's available on Amazon or on the website watercodes.com. Uh, treeoflifetech.com also has a website with a lot of good information for uh, how energy works, how these tools, um, how these tools work, and, and sort of the principles behind them. If if people want to learn more, well, I'm really excited about um, exploring with you off the air um, possibilities of how I can get more involved in your work, both in terms of these more sophisticated tools and also in terms of uh, helping to make the pendants available. So I'm really excited about it. And uh, I just feel really thrilled about, uh, you know, there's some conversations that are informative 
but there's some conversations that are not only informative, but they also are um, incredibly empowering in terms of opening up new possibilities. And I, I just feel like this is one of those conversations and I'm really excited that our paths have crossed. I really admire you and what you're doing, the clarity you're bringing to things, the perspective, the passion, the commitment. I really salute what you're doing. And uh, it's been a privilege to be able to be part of the drawing you out and helping to disseminate your work. And I just want to leave it to you to close us out. You know, if there's anything that you're feeling moved to share with our listeners in closing, and I'm just letting our listeners know that we, this is Dr. David, the cutting edge doc, and you've been listening to freeing the body, freeing the soul, where we do in-depth interviews with individuals that are doing cutting edge work in the areas of healing, spirituality, and social transformation. And today I've been speaking with Dr. Carly Newday, the author of The Water Codes. And as she mentioned, uh, it's available through Amazon and other places where you like to get your books. And um, it's just been a delightful conversation. And Carly, let me leave it to you to close us out. If there's anything you'd like to say to myself or to the listeners in closing. Um, well, thank you, David. I, I really appreciate that. It's been a pleasure to be here. And uh, and I thank you for providing a venue to to share the information that you've shared with people, um, you know, since you've been been doing the Cutting Edge Doc show and, and of course, within your practice as well. Um, you know, we really need to open up our minds and, and our understandings to these sort of, um, you know, these new concepts and, and paradigm-breaking realities uh, so that we can become more empowered. And, uh, and I'm grateful that, that it was so resonant with you. I'm, I really appreciate your kind words. And, and I hope that, um, that people will take away an understanding that uh, there's more to water than, than maybe they realized. And, um, and that the science behind it really inadvertently provides the foundation for understanding the science behind our mind, body, and, and spirit connection. And then that's a really powerful Thing, that if we can really understand what's happening in our bodies and in that experience, uh, then we can step forward in that biofeedback loop and, and really empower ourselves to determine our level of, of structure in our body and, and thus determine our level of health and our level of consciousness rather than being at its mercy. And, um, and I really encourage people to pick up the book and, and to do their own research and and, uh, and, and learn more because this is, to me, not just the science of water, but it's the science of reality. It's, it's the understanding for the mechanisms behind the law of attraction. Um, you know, it's, it's the mechanism for understanding the law of magnetism and even a, a science of, of karma or EMF protection and, and health. Um, you know, water being the central the central need and the, the, the central force of, of every civilization is also the central force within ourselves. And, uh, and so in, in recognizing that and in understanding uh, what water really is, um, maybe we can really have a real relationship with it. And in doing so, come to know ourselves and our potentials like we've never done before. And on that note, we'll close with love and peace. Bye for now.
for joining us for today's episode of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. To access all episodes, including show notes, go to CuttingEdgeDoc.com. That's CuttingEdgeDoc.com. Lastly, if you love today's show, you can support Dr. David, his work, and the show by going over to iTunes and giving a five-star rating and a heartfelt comment. Thank you again for joining us today and for your commitment to freeing the body, freeing the soul.